Hello, this is Tom Williams. My guest this week is Mary Zimmerman, who is the adapter and director and creator of one of the great shows currently playing in Chicago, Candide. Hello, Mary. Hi, how are you? Great. Good. Tell us how you came about, what got you interested to do Candide? You know, I think in college, my then boyfriend, Bruce Norris, the, he's the Chicago playwright, Bruce Norris, though now he lives in New York. Uh, this was his favorite musical, and he's a very cynical person, but he always said, oh, it's so transcendent, it's the most beautiful music, and I think he played me the cast album. He had seen the How Prince, the very famous 1974 um, How Prince version, which is a watershed production and was sort of significant in his life. Then... Um, I believe either I had once said that to Rock Schulfer, the executive producer at the Goodman, or Rock came up with it on his own. But Rock said, you know, sort of suggested the idea of Candide to me. They wanted me to do a musical and for me to do a new a new book. Um, whether I had mentioned this earlier to Rock or not, I don't remember. But in any case, I must credit Rock with dragging me to New York to the Bernstein Estate to an uh, office at Kitty Corner to Carnegie Hall where I met with his children and his agent. We got the permission to do a new book. That was about four years ago. Then I got very sidetracked. I went into doing opera for three years and then this all came about about a year ago. Rock said, how about for next fall, um, Candide? And I was kind of um, reluctant because I felt I didn't have time to, I thought I would have to write the book in advance, I, you know, doing a new book. Um, but the way I usually work is I only write once I'm in rehearsal. Yeah, I've heard that. That's yes. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very crazy. Um, and once I realized that I could do that same process, that I could write just when I was in rehearsal, I realized that I, I could do it, that I could be myself and do this project. And that was sort of the go-ahead, the go that I would go ahead and just create it in rehearsal like I have everything else. And I'm sure you re when you researched the other product, because this has always been a troubled show. Yeah, although, you know, when people say it's not had a successful history, I don't know what they're comparing it to because it's in the repertoire 50 years later. I think they can only be comparing it to Bernstein's other musicals, that it doesn't have quite the currency on the stage as West Side Story, for instance. But not that many musicals that go to Broadway are around 50 years later, and the score is so beloved, treasured, and the overture is so famous that... Um, and, and I also have to say that everyone always says, like, oh, it doesn't, you know, in the past doesn't work, book doesn't work. But everyone always has a great time. Like, they just do. So yeah. I think um, it is a kind of hybrid text, and it, it has had its difficulties or whatever, but people still feel very fondly about this musical. Yeah, you know? I mean, Light Opera did a nice job of yeah. it. Uh, even Porchlight, Little Porchlight of course. Theater did a nice job with it. But you nailed it. You did, <laughs> and you. and I'm not, I can't quite put my finger on other than you know, the big budget and the way you staged it, but story-wise. And I yeah. think it was because, didn't you go back to I Voltaire? I went very much back to Voltaire. I looked at the other versions four years ago, but I tried not to crack them open s since then. Um, and I went back to Voltaire, and my guiding light would always be, well, let us is this the structure of the novel? Is this character present in the novel? Et cetera. And that was always sort of the deciding factor. Now, not slavishly, because there are certain... Oh, this song is... The lyrics contain a certain context. And if you're going to use that lyric and that song, you kind of have to use the context, which was already an adaptive move by someone else from the novel. So there's nothing pure about about any of this. And, you know, there are just tiny examples I could give. This character, Martin, 
his song is all about being a street sweeper. Well, in Voltaire, he's not a street sweeper. But if you're going to do that song, and we wanted to, you yeah. have to you have to make. Tom him that. did a great job. Yes, with and it. Tom's great. Or and this is tiny, but in the novel, Cunegonde's brother has no name. He's the Baron's son, or when the Baron dies, he becomes the Baron. But he's called Maximilian from the very earliest adaptations, and we call him that too. Like I didn't think I didn't feel compelled to invent a different name for him. Okay. So. You know, you can't escape the influence of the past and, and, and the credit due to all other versions, including the gigantic, colossal credit due to the idea of making that novel a musical in the first place. Like, that's obviously, that's the big move, and I, I didn't make that move, you know. Is this your first musical? It is my first musical. All of my shows, even from college on, I always had music composed for the show originally, either incidental, and I always have a few a couple songs but they're not musicals arabian nights is very very musical like it's scored almost constantly and uh there's a lot of songs but it's not a musical um this and then i did operas but but this is the first the first musical well one of your trademarks that you certainly have brought to this is this fabulous staging this this Utilizing the lighting and yeah. the sets, fantastically large. And you're always surprised. You're never sure what's going to happen <laughs> yeah. where. Yes. Uh, you know, I worked with my team that I've done, does like literally probably dozens of shows with Dan Osling on set, Mara Blumenfeld on costumes, and TJ Gherkins on lights. And TJ is, well, they all are. TJ, when you meet him in person, is like one of the most prosaic human beings you've ever met. But he lights like Caravaggio. I mean, it's unbelievable. And he's unbelievably precise. And in any show I'm in, you know, we get into performance. We're being very well received. But we still spend our five hours, 12 to 5, every day while we're in preview performances at night in lighting notes with TJ. And me doing things, too. But TJ will not stop. He will use every minute he has to focus our priority of seeing... um, you know, in a way that works absolutely unconsciously. I think lights are an incredibly powerful part of theater because they're largely unconscious. We're largely unaware of how we're being directed by the music. We're very aware that we're being manipulated and moved, and we're very aware of its effects. Lights have a very powerful but much subtler, more unconscious, and therefore I think in a way just as powerful um, effect. I couldn't agree with you more, and I find that when you... When the lighting is great, you're not aware of it. No, exactly. It's when it screws up. Exactly. Yeah, or, or that you're or wondering. You're aware of a vast feeling of beauty and and intensity of focus, but you're not attributing it to the to the lighting. Mm-hmm. And I I think lighting is responsible for like a great many things we do. And I mean, romantic lighting has an enormous effect, and sure. restaurants pay a lot of money to get the lighting right. And sure, all and, that, the, and color they go with lighting. Yes, the, exactly. The color, yeah, yeah, it has a huge effect. So I'm with this team that I've been with. Um, you know, I've done many many shows with this same exact same constellation of people. Uh, specifically Arabian Nights, Metamorphoses. Uh, a lot of my more known things were done with, with the three of them. Well, that's great having that the, the crew that you yeah. think of. I bet you guys can finish each other's sentences. We huh? do, and we have a, a huge system of reference where we can sort of say to one another, uh, like what we did in so-and-so, but better or faster. You know, we, we have... Um, we have a kind of vocabulary, and we and they do know me, and they do know this process, which is really, really difficult for designers. Least difficult for the lighting designer, because lighting design always comes in a couple weeks before you go up anyway. Um, but the set, you know, 
the process by which I work, I don't exactly know what scenes are going to be in the show. Uh, this is true of everything I do. These adaptations, I don't know how long they're going to be. Sometimes I don't even know if there's an intermission or not. In this case, it was obvious there was. But, um, you know, we've got this text, Voltaire, we've got this set of songs. But how that's going to lay out and what the journey of the set's going to be, what setting to what setting, has to be really, really flexible. And in terms of, you know, I, I accomplish a lot of images, I think, through... Uh, objects through through sort of very particular, often custom-made little props, little boats and buckets full of toy soldiers and and whatnot that I have a kind of obsession about. And your and trademark with the, with the, with the uh, <laughs> the silk for the yeah for the water. yeah I can't kind of get away with that. I mean that's yeah. just very very old. Yeah. You know that's been in theater forever. But and I I do water in different ways this time. Yes, um, you do. I definitely do. But but it does make a brief appearance. Actually, Eric Lochtefeld, the day the blue silk came out to drown the Anabaptist, said it's official. It's <laughs> official. It's a Mary Zimmerman production, which I have some you know chagrin about. However, for instance, in let it be said, in Metamorphoses, the water was actually water. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> it's not always a blue piece I know a few silk. actors who were in it, and they said they got so soggy. But yes, they love they do it. get soggy. Yeah. You get very soggy, that's for sure. So uh, for the sets, you're not sure what the sets are going to be like? So well, how can they build no, them? No, 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 no. Right. Uh, the, the design, that's what makes the process difficult, is that the design has to go on the exact same schedule as if I had the script of Hamlet, which everyone knows backwards and forwards, beginning, end, and middle. The, the set has to be on its way to being built and, and priced out and all of that long before I've entered rehearsal. So people may notice that my sets tend to be what I call an open field of play. They're some kind of box, um, a very often uncluttered, because I know I want to use a lot of movement and so forth, and I don't often use like multiple levels on the ground level. I may have an above, which is a very classic thing to do, which I don't actually have in this, but often I do. But they're very flexible environments. You can bring very quickly things in and in and out of. And the specificity of the scene of the location comes from some little emblematic object that's brought in and not much not much else. It's it's um, sort of a it's sort of a minimalist aesthetic, but in another way, I think it's sort of maximalist. You know, I don't know why I even say that, but except that I'm always trying to saturate the stage with image, but done in, in rather simple, you know, in, by simple means. And very creative. Well, thank you. And, and I got to feel a couple of minutes into the show after the great overture. Yes. Uh, with the costuming and, and the opening number being such a good uh, comic number. Yes. Larry Yondo leading the yes. way. I mean, wow. Yes. Money uh, in the bank. But, <laughs> Right away, I got the feel because I do cover a lot of opera. Uh-huh. I said this has an operatic tone to it. Well, that's in and the look. music. Yeah. The, the demand on the singers is much higher. Yeah. They're immediately singing in four-part counterpoint, like right off the bat. Um, the music is just very sophisticated yeah. and yet very accessible. And the lyrics are so witty and light and full of double and triple rhyme, full of surprising rhyme. But you're right, and I don't without giving too much away, I wanted the world of Westphalia, where everyone, you know, in their little provincial way believes it's the best of all possible worlds and everything is so perfect. I want to show a couple things. One, that it's actually quite small, that they're in a kind of contained, cramped little space. And two, that they're wealthy and that they have servants and that that is part of what makes the world seem the best possible is because they're on top. You know, they're yeah. on top in the world and there's something about status and power that I think can be mined even in those first couple little songs. Um, so we start out with a look that's sort of representational and graphic and seems to be sort of architectural and filled with furniture and, uh, you know, realistic little objects. 
And then when he's kicked out of Westphalia, out of the great castle of Thunder Ten Tronk, he's deprived of everything, and we become momentarily visually deprived. We're, we're deprived of representation and of illusion. Yeah, you're in that big yeah. open space. Yeah. Suddenly, and I don't want to blow it, yeah. but there's a moment I'm, I'm very happy with where there's an enormous transformation in less than a second of the, of the set. And um, I think now a lot of people know about it, but I was very eager to keep that under wraps as long as possible. I wouldn't let the Goodman put out any pictures that kind of revealed what the set actually looked like because I wanted the audience to be a little bit fooled by that first 20 minutes. Well, and surprises. Continually through yeah. this long journey, you're, you're surprised. And I keep saying, you know, I've seen this several times, I'd say, yeah. well, what else can – oh, are they doing that? <laughs> Well, what else? And it, yeah. I heard that I must have said what else about ten yeah. times. You know, well, it? I think surprise for me is a is a huge uh, necessary ingredient of of theater, or at least what attracts me to the theater. I love surprise. I I think theater is a sort of magic trick uh, where we believe we're seeing something that really isn't there, and believing in a story that is sort of happening, but in another way it isn't. It's just pretend and. I, I think surprises is very high up on the list of priorities for me in, in the sort of thing things that I do. Well, you have a you have a great touch for it. Well, thank you very you much. You really do. Uh, tell us how you got around the tone problems because in the story, you know he's he's this naive guy yes. and he best of all worlds and yes. no matter what happens it'll be a great yes. day tomorrow <laughs> and all this evil. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what I told my cast on the first day and what I talked to Doug Peck, my music director, about is that the trick is going to be finding the tone and to not dismiss the novel as a cartoon and a broad farce, but to allow it as much as possible to help it towards being real people, but people with a blind spot. And not stupid people. Candida's not stupid. I think he's very bright. He's very intellectually curious. He loves studying with Dr. Pangloss. He's a great student, but he has this enormous blind spot. And, you know, everything is satirized in the novel, including Candide himself. And so how do we have a hero who we love, but who we see the, you know, the contradictions in and even the hypocrisy in? There are a couple moments that I love in the novel and we have in the play where, you know, Candide says, oh, you know, he witnesses some suffering of someone else. And he says, oh, I will never, ever get over this. I'll, I'll never eat again. And then he immediately eats and yeah. takes a sandwich. Or he says, you know, I saw these people drowning. I'll never get over it. But then when he sees that one of his sheep has survived the shipwreck, uh, he is immediately very happy. So, but, you know, it, the, the part of the way one accomplishes that, of having real feeling and real heart, is that that's in the music. And that Bernstein's great move is to supply that gorgeous warmth and, and feeling and heart. And it's not that it's not in the book. I think that too often people concentrate entirely on the falsity of Dr. Plangloss, the one who says everything's great. They forget the entire second half of the novel in which Candide meets a sort of second tutor, Mr. Martin, who says everything sucks. The whole world is terrible. Everything will deceive you. Well, Martin turns out to be as incorrect as Pangloss. The, the things he predicts, the dire things he says, you're never going to see Cunegonde again, this guy Cacombo's never going to turn up again, also turn out to be false. And I think um, some approaches to that Voltaire text have too much emphasized and embraced the, you know, the entirely cynical, uh, Dr. Pangloss is an idiot, things are terrible, without acknowledging 
that there is, and this is almost heretical to say, but there is some sentiment in that novel and true romance and that there is true friendship in that novel between Cacambo and Candide that pans out and pays off. And There's loyalty and, and It comes out love. in your, yeah, it, the loyalty and the love and the yeah. romance comes out in your yeah. production. The others, I agree with you, they take one point of view and they kind of stay with it all and run with it. Yeah, so that the very last moment the cow dies of the pox, which is hilarious. And, and I'm, you know, I didn't want to do a new Candide because I felt other Candides weren't good. That's not what I felt. I did a new Candide because all my life I've just done my own adaptations and my interest in the project sort of involved that act of adaptation from an original text because it, it's the kind of text that's sort of up my alley and that's just, you know, what I wanted to do. But each of the other works are perfect in their way. And they that that Hal Prince production is a absolute landmark in American theater history and was so innovative, so full of energy. And it, it changed people who saw it, like the possibility of theater opened up. So I just am a different person. But and let me say I was going to do this project, it was going to have some of my own voice in there. Well, it certainly you know. has. But let me say, your production is going to do the same thing that Hal Prince did. <laughs> well, I mean it. Seriously. Rather grand proclamation, but thank I'll you so you, much. The reaction of people I know. walking out, where they, just, I know. they had their mouth open. I know. They saw a, a, a show that was operatic. Yeah. They saw a musical that had comedy in it. Yeah. They saw a show with lots of heart. Yeah. They saw a, a theater as spectacle. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all there. I mean, I, you know, I, I love this show, and I... I would I do love all my shows especially in the moments of doing them and and for a long time after but I I get kind of weepy about this show and I feel and you know I feel weird saying this because I don't want to sound like I'm just promoting it but I'm sort of desperate for people to see because I think it's really good but I feel I said to my cast the night before opening I said you know the, and again I this is un, an unguarded thing for me to say be recorded saying but I said to them this show isn't just very good. It's that other thing. It's that rare thing. It's that very, very special thing. And, you know, even if people kind of weren't loving it the way I think they kind of are, we maintain that feeling in the cast. And the cast is a complete love fest. And I've had nothing but the purest pleasure working with these past masters, Larry Yondo, Hollis oh. Resnick, Tom Alino, Eric Lochtefeld, who's a younger guy. But yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. yeah, you know, he was in, he was my student, and then he was in Metamorphoses yeah, for six years. Right. He was in it all the way up through Broadway. I've known Eric since he was 18. To see him mature into this guy who's just like playing that audience like a fiddle. Oh. You know, he's, yeah. he's fantastic. And I, if I've left anyone out, and then, and then people who are brand new to me, honestly, whatever I've done, I mean, the, the music is what people are coming for, and it's fantastic. And whatever effort my designers and I have made, that's great. But if I didn't have the Candide I have, and I didn't have the oh, Kudagonda yeah. I have... You Tell could, us how you, you arrived not, at those at two. Uh, you would not follow the, the, yeah. for the length of that show. That's just no question. Well, it was auditions in New York. Uh, they came in, and I remember that Jeff... Uh, you know, I sent a, you know several people you know attend are, are also offering their opinions. Um, and I remember Jeff came in either just after lunch or just before, and no one else really remarked him his 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 first audition. And I remember I remember this so clearly, saying that guy, um, that guy Jeff, he had such a dreamy look in his eye, didn't he? He had such a sweetness in him, and they were like, yeah, I don't really remember. They didn't remember him that much. But then when we called him back, he leapt to the forefront. The timbre of his voice is really special. 
And he's just a phenomenal human being, which I didn't know at all when I cast him. I'm talking about this Jeff, could have, Jeff, Jeff Packard. Packard. Yeah. I mean, he could have turned out to be some horrible weasel. And in fact, he's like, he actually is Candide. And <laughs> I, I mean that really seriously. He's like the most buoyant, sweet, but he's really funny and he's smart. But he's like so hardworking. He's so earnest in life. It comes across, too. Yeah. He's, he's got he's that adorable. sparkle. Yeah. He's absolutely He walks adorable. on. He's one of those guys. He walks on. He smiles and you love him. And, you know, and that's the thing. Like, here we go. Here we go. Am I going to like Candide? You know, the curtain up. There he yeah. is. And then he has got his first little, he's the first person to sing and the first person to sing solo. And it's like, are we going to like, you know, and I just feel so assured. And then Kunaganda, but, you know, we kept looking like, like I had auditions to do in Chicago and so forth. But it's just, it just kind of became clear it was Jeff. Kunaganda, I was really certain about Lauren the moment I saw her. Yeah. Um, often that part is cast by someone who is primarily or above all an exquisite soprano. And Lauren's, in my mind, ex- exquisite uh soprano but she's not like the typical um what do i want to say like sort of girl next dory she's not that typical musical comedy heroine she's quirky and really funny i felt that she was inherently comic as a person and yeah. that she understood the irony i can't tell you you know i had these long sides which i had to write you know i, I make up scenes that half of them don't end up in the show but i need something to audition them with and she was the only one who could do this narrative about her parents being killed and everything, you know, oh everything being God. destroyed comically. And she wow, was one, that's of, quite the, a one test. of the very few. <laughs> so she understood the tone of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really, really important to me. And then I didn't know that her and Jeff had been in the same Broadway show for nine months. Like, I didn't know that. And we actually did a callback where we had people in pairs, and those two were paired. And I thought that pair is really extraordinary he's he's really looks like a farm boy next to her and she looks like the more sophisticated and in a way that's correct you know she's the royal little sort of princess and he's the illegitimate kid you know who's sort of allowed to stay in the castle as long as he behaves you know so that was fantastic i've often said if you're going to go out of chicago which we have such a great bring in top drawer people and you certainly did it's really hard to cast musicals and it's very it was hard to cast this one as well it's it's just it's a huge demand uh, vocally, but I refused to cast anyone who wasn't also a great actor. Well, how about so. Hollis? She steals her. Yeah. Seat. What a pro. I yeah, mean, she's she amazing. is. Yeah. She knows how to do it. I mean, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, here's how you do it. You know, he she's just night after night phenomenal. And what I was also impressed by with her is how, but of course she does, how seriously she takes it. She was one of the few who from the first minute in rehearsal, she always wore this headscarf, hit her hair, which aged her. And she always wore her rehearsal skirts and she would wear two or three because she knew her costume was sort of like that, sort of layered like that. She always, she had her lines memorized, even though I'd be handing them out every day. She always had them by that afternoon or the next day. Really, really professional. And um, one of my favorite moments is, they arrive at the inn at Cadiz, and I said, Hollis, you know, while he's saying this line, be trying to sit down but can't quite. Oh, and yeah. she started, and I oh. and she said, she said like that much, and I said, more. I said, go to town. And she said, go to town, and I said, yes. And she does, and oh, it's yeah. like one of the great moments in the show is this like elaborate, almost gymnastic thing she goes through, which is always different every night a little bit, of, of not quite being able to sit down because, as we know, the old woman has only one buttock. Right. So we thought, well, it would be difficult for her to sit. And, and if you note in the whole show, she never sits in a normal way no, throughout she the doesn't. entire show. She does not. She sits, she, like, um, she, she sits in a chair on her feet, squatting at one point, 
on the ground, she's often sort of squatting. And if she's ever in a chair, she's in it at some crazy angle. That shows what, what a pro. Once you yeah. establish a bit like that, yeah. we're all looking for it. <laughs> and how many shows you see it, you know, and then they don't do it. And you go, what was yeah. that about? At the same yeah. time, she does not play the old lady broadly. She plays her really specifically and as a real person. One of these great you know, hard-bitten survivors of the world. You know, this Eastern European, always on the run, subject to war and your country changing hands constantly. She carries all of that in this. And at the same time, it's really funny, but there's a melancholy, there's a great melancholy yeah. in yes, her. Yes, there is. That I think is phenomenal. So, Well, you're, you're, um, your ensemble is is awesome too. Yeah, yeah. You got a, you've got a lot the of the bench is very deep. Yeah, I mean, if I've got Rebecca Finnegan in oh, my ensemble, yeah. which by the way, she sings a song normally written for a man. And when we entered the rehearsal process, I didn't know who was going to sing that song. And it was actually my assistant suggested to me, why don't you have Rebecca do it? So she, going into the show, did not have a big, you know, solo, but she has a big song. Oh, she's got, she's got a voice that's... Yeah, that, yeah they can, can do it. it. Yeah, it's oh, kind yeah. of a feat that she's singing that low uh, in the same way that Kunigana sings so high. Yeah. You know? So tell us now what you hope the audiences will take from this show. You know, I just hope that they are fully present to it and enjoying every single moment of it. I don't know necessarily what the takeaway is, except, of course, the, the tunes. Right. And a kind of contemplation about how one feels on the scale of optimism, you know, where one, one lies. There's, a, there's kind of alternate worldviews proposed in the show. And the show has a lot of intellectual content to it and philosophical content. And I think people do sort of think like, they do leave sort of thinking like, what is be- What is the best way to live? Is tending one's own garden the best? And that very, very moving song, How Persuasive Is It? But mostly what people leave with, I'm quite sure, are the, are the tunes. Those very famous, unbelievably rich tunes and those really, really great, unbelievably clever lyrics, I think. Yeah, and they take, let me add one more thing. They take this visual memory mm-hmm. of, of the show. Mm-hmm. that'll stick with them for the rest of their lives. I hope so. I mean, yeah. you know, one thing I think we're good at is fooling people into thinking they're seeing a lot more than they are. It really is rather spare, but I think it doesn't feel that way. No, it doesn't, and, yeah. it, and it works really great. Well, the show is Candide. You cannot miss this show. <laughs> I understand when it leaves the Chicago on the 31st, it's going to... D.C., Sh- to the Shakespeare Sh- Theater in D.C., their new space, yes, downtown okay, good. D.C. And then the Broadway, you think? Oh, you know, come on. I mean, I don't know. I'm knocking on wood for you. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. You know, it depends on critical response and this, that, and the other. And also, it doesn't have, like, big fancy stars in it or anything like that. I do hope it has a future life for sure. I'm very, very proud of it. But I also, in the theater, one always has to just know that the process and the, the, the present moment of it is the payoff. And knowing these people and doing this rehearsal process with them was just great. So... You know, Dianu. Well, I have a quote here I want to ask you about from Willa Cather. Ugh. I'll never be the artist I was when I was a child. Is that, I understand that's your mantra? Yeah. Well, I have an affinity for Cather because I'm from Nebraska. Okay. And as a child, one's forced to read Cather and hates it. She's not really for young people. But as I get older, I adore her. And yes, she, she in one novel says uh, she would never be the artist she was as a child. And, and I, 
I, I do sort of believe, I know what that means. That means the spontaneity, the freedom of creativity, the let's take this stick and rock on the ground and pretend that it is this other thing. That kind of faithfulness, um, in the simple device is something that I, you know, I try to, try to carry through. And I, you know, you, you mentioned like big budget. I mean, it is, doing a musical is big budget because you sure. have an orchestra, but, uh, it isn't wagon loads of scenery coming on. It's it is some like a little pinwheel equals Holland or three brown tulips equal Holland. You know we try to do things. I, no one sees this, but when Paris is mentioned in this very rapid sequence, someone walks by holding a little um, Notre Dame cathedral in their hand. A yeah, I didn't souvenir. catch that. My friend caught that. Yes, oh, it's yeah. very very brief, but that kind of. Um, emblematic tiny detail is something that I I like I like to do and that is childlike you know to just use the part to represent the whole I mean that's what the theater does all the time theater's all about imagination yeah for sure and collaboration with the audience and sort of completing these images you just sort of offer suggestion it's the audience that sort of fills it in and understands that's so I take it you're not a real fan then of uh all the audio-visual stuff that's creeping in? I don't mean to say that at okay. all. Okay. I think that stuff is absolutely extraordinary. I think I'm just not quite of the generation or the affinity to do it. It's just not where my particular, you know, abilities lie. No, I think all of that can be absolutely stunning. Uh, absolutely stunning, yeah. So you would consider it if it fits the piece? Well, probably, but it's just not where my taste go For myself, it's not It's not the thing I fall to. You know, uh, when you're hired as a director, what's being hired is one's own sort of self and one's own taste, and I just don't um, go there that often. But, you know, all the technologies of making all of that stuff so much better than it used to be. Like, I used to make little 16-millimeter films for my shows. The Odyssey originally had these little movies, and... Um, and yet there are all these problems with projection, you know, because you shadow this you inter- screen. All those problems are solved now with new technologies. And so it's possible I would look towards something like that. Yeah. But I really like the, you know, the, you know, the, the stick on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now, and I, now, I guess I'm old you know, fashioned, it's my, I like you know, that yes, too. Yeah. I like that stuff. That is not to say, though, I don't absolutely love other people's work. It's just not where my, it's just not where my own little skill set is, okay. I think. Okay. I have to ask you this question. What project that you have not done is in the back of your mind? Like, well, there's, there's everybody's there's a, got a couple of there things. Is, that to there's do. a play. I very much want to do a very, very seldom done Jacobean tragedy, which I'm not going to name the name of because okay. I'm so paranoid someone else will do it. All right. Um, that that I that's really dark and really strange, and I think the language in it it's it's in blank verse. Um, you know, about 20 years after Shakespeare, it. It's stunningly good and accessible. It's complex because no one knows this place, so the first time you read it, it's difficult. But um, I'm thrilled by it. I'm thrilled by certain events in this play are so dark and strange, and uh, I, that that is something I, I'm really wanting to do. I have a feeling you're going to do it, right? When these things get in you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to get, you gotta yeah, get yeah, it yeah. out of you by doing it, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Good. All right, well, we'll... We'll and then it. I also, I have to say that one of my favorite things I ever did was my Proust house, this thing in a warehouse. I was just going to bring that up. And I want to work site-specific again. Like, nothing is so thrilling. It's so thrilling. In fact, I may do this play site-specific. That's a kind of thought about it. But it's so hard to find Because you did it sites. in an old it's mansion, difficult. and then you did it in an old warehouse. warehouse. Well, yeah. well, it was a sort of, I'm not exactly sure even what it was. It's been different things. But yeah, factory slash warehouse. Well, we got enough yeah. of those around Chicago. I'm sure you could... 
Yeah, point. the problem is one that's not being used, and that usually means it's on the market, yeah. which, you know, there's just constant complications about it. So, But that's, of all the shows, can you name a couple of them that are your all-time favorites? That's difficult to okay. do, but, but, but I think I like the originality of, like, the Proust, what we call the Proust Warehouse, or it was called Eleven Rooms of Proust, or um, I like my notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci, yeah, but I, I, I kind of too. like all of them, and I, I'm, I am very fond of Candide, but it's not it's not it's so original with, with me, and not such an odd idea, and I suppose Metamorphoses was such a big event in my life, such a long event in my life, from school through years of being in the regionals with it, then to New York, and then to Broadway, was just like a long trip, you know, Three marriages came out of that, which now there are four children from those three marriages that came out of the cast of Metamorphoses. So that was a very life-changing experience in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, the, you know, but but I also, I have enormous fondness for Journey to the West and Silk and this little opera I did, Galileo Galilei. Oh, I mean, yeah. I really, The Odyssey, saw, yeah. Arabian Nights. How, how Secret can I forget? of the Wings. Secret of the Wings. Ar- Ar- Arabian Nights is also yeah. a favorite. It, it's sort of... Um, it it's just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. I'm on tour with it again this yeah. year, and and the music in it gets better, and we get a more and more diverse and sort of authentic cast as the years go by, and I really um, enjoy that. And and the actors seem to enjoy that. Yes, they yeah. sure do. Yeah, Maybe they... a little too much. <laughs> but yes, show changes. Love, Every, you can yes. come see it. You wonder what happened. Huh? Yes, I I really yes I I love that show. That's an old show of mine too. Yeah, that Been is great. Forever. Well, Mary, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, it, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on, and just keep creating art. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. It's so kind of you. And folks, don't miss Candide. It's really worth seeing, and go see a play this week. Mm-hmm.